0: Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing the mindset of permanent reinvention and managing change as a constant in everyday life. Today, I'm delighted to welcome or rather welcome back Aidan McCullen to the show. Aidan, you were the first guest on my podcast series and you are my first second time guest. And you're now the proud author of your first book, Undisruptible. So congratulations, first of all, and welcome back to the show.
1: Merci, Suzy. Enchanté.
0: Avec plaisir. Aidan, I love the simplicity of your, what I'm going to call a multi-layered book. For me, it's a must-read for anybody looking to understand change, but also trying to navigate today's landscape in general. If I go back to our first episode where you spoke, well, well, we spoke about the role of vision and purpose in transformation, And we already discussed the imaginal discs and the caterpillar butterfly analogy. And it's timely for me that the first part of the book is the former self fueling the future self and the mix of questions that you gave constantly moving between the different lenses of individual and organization and the mix of fact and theory and legend and science and your life experience. So my first question has to be, what inspired you to write Undisruptible and what did you learn? in the
1: process. I've had a very lucky life. I, when I look at it, it's been privileged in that I've had some amazing experiences, including playing for Stade Toulousan, <laughs> which, which is right up there as one of the peaks, mainly because it was a vision that I had when I was in my early 20s when I first played in France in, in US Dax over in the southwest of France mm. in Londres. And I think that I've found a way to unlock and and frame change, including the so-called failures or what we perceive to be failures
0: Mm.
1: as part of the journey. And I think it's really important because one of the great gifts rugby gives you is that you have to retire at a young age. So you have to retire because your body can no longer carry you or injury or Non-selection or don't get a contract again. There's lots of reasons for it, but mm. it forces you to retire in those early 30s. You know, if you're if you're lucky, some players may get out onto their late 30s, but the average would be 30, say. Mm. And what that means is you have to reinvent yourself at that early stage. Yeah. And so often, I saw so many of my colleagues in sport and indeed in other sports not prepare for that inevitability. Mm. So. That that was coming. We all knew it was coming. Didn't not know quite when
0: mm-hmm.
1: for most people, unless they knew their contract was coming to an end or else they made the decision themselves, which I did. Mm. And when I did make that decision, I wanted to build capability before I needed it. So as you know, from reading the book, this mm. is something I talk about the whole time is that when you're enjoying the crest of a wave when you're at the top of your game when you're selected in the team when you're the ceo or the leader in a company all is rosy and Mm. you tend not to see possible future threats which is a real danger in a world of incessant change Mm. and many of us will have experienced this during the COVID pandemic where we were top of the top (laughs) of the game and then all of a sudden the the tectonic plates of disruption reorganized recalibrated Mm. the landscape And we're at the Mm -hmm. bottom of the mountain for Mm -hmm. me, putting a framework around that and understanding that that is not a one-off event. That is life itself. It's a, it's this dynamic process that continues Mm -hmm. to move and always goes from a place of order to chaos to order to chaos. There's, and I kind of even think of it. Like if you think of everything going from a gas to a liquid, to a, solid so it turns so think of water and it, it goes mm. from a gas to a, a steam to a liquid and then eventually to ice mm. and when it goes to ice it, it can actually stagnate and decline that's that's the way i kind of visualize it and you need to be active about agitating it to create to be steam again you need to add heat you need to do something you need to add mm. friction mm. And, and that needs to be a choice
0: yeah but, but we don't do it today. And I think, you know, particularly in organisations, it's about getting to where you want to be. And once you're there, <laughs> that you don't necessarily anticipate. In fact, not you don't necessarily. You don't anticipate the next step. And, you know, the, the simplicity of, your, of the S-curve model and jumping the S-curve. And it is, you know, if I, the Teutonic plates, they create new S's, don't they? And I had a light bulb moment there. Particularly, you know, the, the fact that you need to be in constantly in anticipation of, of what's happening, not that we can't celebrate being at the top, but you then need to think about the next sort of crest of the next wave. And I think my favorite quote here is when you say, you know, organizations are at the most profitable when they're also at the most fragile and individuals are at their most successful and they're also at the most vulnerable. So this constant sort of swing between the two extremes and that we become so preoccupied with optimizing, enjoying, and defending the competitive advantages that made us successful today, that we neglect to prepare for tomorrow. So there's a lot to unpack here, and it's it's multi layered in its simplicity, if you like. But for me, this quote, I had a light bulb moment, and I've redone, I've been re looking at my my sort of S curves. But in itself, it's a great lesson, I think, for leaders and for organisations. Can you tell us more about how you how you got it to that? level of simplicity
1: and how you came to that conclusion well uh, history's littered with with it really where organizations were at the top of the game and i mentioned some of the graphs like mm. some of the stock curves that yeah. you see i call them long kiss goodnight curves where
0: yeah, i like that
1: <laughs> you're you're w- once you're at the top of the curve and then all of a sudden, it's just a massive drop and it seemingly happens overnight, but mm. it doesn't happen overnight. I, I, this is the real threat about technological change that we're experiencing today. So powered by exponential change, which means doublings and and exponential change really means that it's backloaded. The change is backloaded. So it's slow at the start and then it's really sudden at the end and you go, wow, where the heck did that come from? Mm. And this is is driving a lot of the change today but it wasn't always the case like for for example a great example is nokia nokia in and and actually was really interesting for me in my own personal journey when i'd made the decision to retire Mm. i was investigating future alternatives so trying to build capability including understanding as a capability of where things were going Mm. it was 2007 and i picked up this magazine, Forbes magazine. I remember it was in a Borders, ironically, as well, which went, <laughs> went bankrupt as well, <laughs> which is also a victim of disruption. Yeah. And we used to go there, myself and my then fiance, and read and drink a coffee. Mm. And um, I picked up this magazine, Forbes magazine, because I was interested in the cover article, which read Nokia, can anyone catch? the cell phone king. So it was like about this Nokia being top of the world, um, owning the telephony market, mobile telephony, and could anyone catch them? And I was like going, this is great. This is the place for me, right? (laughs) I'm going to get into mobile phones. But then just after Christmas, so this was November 2007, just after that Christmas, going into early 2008, ahead of the the great recession, by Mm -hmm. the way, that we've experienced next thing I, I see Nokia's stock, it starts to plummet. And I was like, what the heck? And then I, I then I read about the Apple story. And mm. then I investigated this. And I was like, Nokia knew about this many yeah. times. And they were so complacent, not only complacent, but egotistical and yeah. blind to the yeah. threat. And actually, selectively blind so they mm. chose to ignore it and they ridiculed it and they're like what would they know they're a computer company and what happened yeah. was really really sad and interesting but this was the saddest part about the Nokia stories the engineers in Nokia years before the iPhone ever appeared on the market yeah. who recommended this one touch one button touchscreen device and yeah. more than that Susie they recommended an app store where it could become a revenue stream.
0: Yeah, I saw I that. Uh, I can imagine
1: the torture for those poor guys, those entrepreneurs, who, those researchers who came up with that idea, and then mm-hmm. years later saw it come to life with a competitor that that essentially was one of the reasons that Nokia declined. But let's not let's not forget, and this is important, I think, in in your work as well, in in executive coaching and leadership work and organizational development, is that that wasn't apple's fault and and i think this is what we Mm. often miss is we'll go and blame the competitor or the changing business landscape of course (laughs) the onus is on us to to a build capability before we need it B, in this instance with nokia listen to those developers or at least have the mechanics in your business for their knowledge to to get to the top and Mm. There's a, there's a great quote by Andy Grove, the Intel, former Intel CEO, and he said, snow always melts from the edges. And okay. what that means is that there's always signs at the edge of society. And I call my business edge behavior for that reason. Is mm-hmm. that when, when you look at the edges of society, there's always hints of what's to come. And, yeah. you know, for example, if you want to know what your customer of the future is going to be talk to a kindergarten teacher or talk to a school teacher Mm. and go, what are the kids doing these days? What, what apps are they on? You know, understand Mm. how are they consuming finance? How are they, how are they entertaining themselves? And and you can actually see Mm. early traces of what will happen into the future and put this all into a mixing bowl and you have order in the chaos and you can start to (laughs) spot patterns
0: But I think it requires quite a lot of curiosity and a lot of humility to sort of take that step back and go and get curious about other things and not sit in your organization thinking we know best um, and what we did yesterday will get us where we need to be tomorrow. And I think, you know, that Nokia story and those poor entrepreneurs, let's call them entrepreneurs, I think that's a lot of entrepreneurs suffer that. And it's like the arrogance of organizational culture almost because it's based on you know you are your results and when you get to the top of a ladder you know that was your objective and and this is where I really like the idea of return on capabilities and the the s-curve discussion which brings me to the ouroboros part of this the snake eating its tail and I think you explain your light bulb moment there in the book and I must admit I had one there but can you walk us through how that becomes a cycle and what it means for being undisruptible, because I think that is a key learning for organizational development, but also for leadership.
1: Yeah. So if our audience just visualizes this, so the S curve is the shape of the letter S. And essentially it was brought it was brought to popularity by a guy called Ever Rogers back in the 50s and 60s when he talked about he what he was talking about was the diffusion of language into society, but he brought it then a step first, the diffusion of innovation. So how does any product or service what kind of life cycle does it have? So if you imagine in your mind, the letter S mm. and, and stretch it out a little bit. So it's like a stretched S, the side, a kind of a slanty S and, and the S curve can map any product life cycle or, or think of it as a learning curve. And things always start off at the bottom of the S. They're slow and take a while to get going. And then they start to gradually rise. And then if they're successful, they start to take off and scale and grow. But then again, at the top of the S, just like the bottom, they start to stagnate. And I go a step further and go, well, the stagnation is a sign of future decline. So if you're not agitating there or inventing, you the, the S curve starts to drop, and and the business suffers. What Nokia did, the long kiss good night. Mm. It may be the top of a, of its of its industry, but the industry is melting. The industry yeah. is like a melting iceberg, and this is so often what we see is that. That we accept the excuses that, oh well, for example, in media, oh well, it's Facebook's fault or it's Google's fault, and you go know, mm. but what are we doing to reinvent ourselves?" And we knew about this a long time ago, and we didn't do anything. That, mm. so so bring it back to the S-curve, what happened for me was when, when I was given many keynotes and workshops mm. and talking about this, I, and I developed my own slides because I really focus on the visual aspect of, yeah. of learning and. One night I had this disturbing dream, and I have this practice of sending dreams or ideas to myself. So I have a specific email address I oh, sent ideas to, and I, even actually, yeah, well, yeah. it's it's a step even further, Susie. It's re, it was really useful for me even writing the book. So
0: every imagine. time I had
1: an idea, I, I'd create a subject line that equated to a chapter title, and uh-huh. if it if it roughly if some thought or piece of research I felt felt roughly fitted in there I'd send it that email address <laughs> with that subject line and then it was easy to get all my sources yeah, yeah. at the end so so again building capability before yeah. you needed it yeah. but but one of the dreams I had and one of the emails I woke up to one day so I had sent myself an email I checked the time it was like 3 40 a.m didn't really even remember the instance and didn't really remember the dream but the subject line was snake eating its own tail and I was like Ew, what the heck was that about? <laughs> and, and I had a vague recollection of it, as you often do with your mm, dreams. Mm. So I do what, what we all do. I, I go to Google and I type it in and I find firstly the images uh, and, and it was often the image of a circle. But then I saw the image of a, an infinity symbol. So the, mm. the number eight, the figure mm. eight on its side. And now, now go back to the S curve. And Mm -hmm. if you think, yes, and you continue to draw it and back it upon itself, it becomes the symbol of infinity. And I was like, oh my God, this has been staring me in the face. But back to the Ouroboros, the Ouroboros is this ancient symbol often represented by a serpent or a dragon eating its own tail. Mm. And it features in many ancient civilizations, Egypt, Greece, Norse mythology, Mm. And the word Ouroboros itself originates from the Greek and means tail eater or tail devourer. <laughs> and when yeah. I searched, I was like, what, what the heck is that about? But then I found out what it's a symbol for. Mm. And it's a symbol of eternal cyclical renewal, cycle of life, death mm. and rebirth. And I loved that when I researched it even further again, the great psychiatrist Carl Jung saw the Ouroboros yeah. as a symbol of immortality. Because he said, by slaying himself or herself, the Ouroboros brings her, himself and herself to life. And that definition reminded me of, as you mentioned, the butterfly yeah. using the caterpillar as fuel for its future mm. becoming. And that, that is a core message of this book is that everything we do, I, I mean, everything you take, you pick up a magazine and read an article you change the structure of your brain. One piece of information, the great Nobel laureate Kandel said this, that one piece of information changes your brain because it, it recalibrates the entire thing. So mm. that makes you go, well, I have to be very selective of what information I let into my head and mm. how I spend that cognitive energy, including hanging on to old regrets and pains and this, this uh, failures and mm. mistakes that we all make as part of, success and it's part of uh, progress Mm. and i think the uh, symbol of the the ouroboros means that well that's a cyclical ever moving dynamic process that that continually goes and if you think of the symbol of the infinity curve just as a figure of eight on its side it's just continually moving Mm. and every time you hit a trough you hit the bottom of the curve You know, there's a top coming, you know, there's a crest coming. And then every time you're at the top, you know, there's some crisis on its way. So when you're at the top, you build capability, preparing for an inevitable setback or an Mm -hmm. obstacle. And when we are at the bottom, you understand this is temporary and I'm going to enjoy a success in the future. If I remain dedicated and disciplined in my progress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when, you know, you ask that question of are you holding on to some expertise or status in the full knowledge that your role is in decline? And if so, what are you doing about it? And I think that is the Ouroboros question, isn't it? It's such a great question. I think we've all been there. The hardest part is accepting it enough to move on and build capacity and understanding, you know, how your brain is wired for safety and certainty. And you're basically going against the way your brain, brain is intrinsically wired. How do you get over that? how do you think one can change the definition of success and move into the sort of Ouroboros movement?
1: (laughs) I I love that. Uh, Let let me bring it to make it um, specifically Toulouse now. (laughs) So (laughs) so two, two of the great examples I thought of from a rugby perspective were Mm. two great Toulouse players, uh, Yannick Josian and Yannick Brew. Mm. So and they passed on this to me. The, this where I, I saw these guys. Right, they're both playing for the French national team. They were both unbelievably installed in the French in the, in the Toulouse team. They were part of the very fabric of that team. Mm. They never stopped building capability, and and I don't mean just like for example, I remember Yannick Josian standing in the corridor, and this is a great tip for any parents there out there who have children who want to be any sports player It doesn't matter if it's rugby or not but he stood in the corridor and he used to throw the ball off one of the walls so obviously the ball, rugby ball being oval it would go anywhere and then and he and he'd only look forward so he was only using his periphery peripheral vision to do this so he, he'd throw one side and on the other side one side then on the other side and i i saw him do it one day and i asked him and he goes oh yeah i do this every day and so that was one thing. So that was that was in his in his own career. So call that, I would call that incremental improvement. That's mm-hmm. something he's already top of the game at, mm. and he's and he's continually to add. So think of it as agile or continuous improvement, mm. right? And, and most of us think that's innovation or think that's enough. But what what was really interesting was. He was also working one day a week in Société Générale, so the bank in Toulouse. So Mm -hmm. he was building capability there and he's working there with Jérôme Mm Casalbu and another former Toulouse player. So he was going into the office and working there dressed in a suit to prepare himself for a future state that was inevitable. Meanwhile, Yannick Brew had his own finance company. Again, building capability before he needed it. And and I noticed actually, this was common throughout so many of the players that they weren't resting on their laurels at the top of the mm. S-curve, expecting mm. the world to move for them. They were like, well, I need to be building for a future that's inevitable for me. These, these weren't egotistical moves where it's like, oh, I'll buy a pub or I'll buy a bar, which which... You know, happens in <laughs> sports because mm. players really, maybe I've have disposable income and don't really know what to do with it. Mm. These were very strategic moves. Go, mm. so this is something I may be interested in. Mm. And I, and you know, for example, Yannick, I don't know if he works in that area now, but mm. certainly the experience will change his future state because he's in he's in, he's absorbing new information with no risk. The yeah. only Lost to him is his time and his discipline Mm. to go up and show up every single week to do that. And that's a really valuable lesson.
0: It is. And and it's also how you use every part of your experience, not just what you define as success. And I think it reminds me of, you know, you talked about innovation, but the, the two cultures that need to exist today in terms of business as usual culture and innovation culture, which are two different cultures in terms of the way they're asking people to think and work. I, I loved what you said in the book on Kintsugi th- thinking. And can you tell us a little bit more about what it is? And for me, its place in this landscape is here. It's about how you manage what you learn from failure, in inverted commas, and how you take it through a cycle.
1: Yeah, so, so Kintsugi thinking is this beautiful art in Japan. And essentially what it is, is taking... So so we may have seen this, some of our audience may have seen this, is you come across a, a, a piece of pottery or piece of cer- a ceramic, like a bowl or something like that, and you see that it's obviously cracked mm. and it's, it's glued together and you kind of think, why didn't I just get a new bowl, right? <laughs> so, why didn't they just get an Ikea bowl that's really cheap? Mm. But it's actually this beautiful pottery, it's this beautiful art from that that origin, originates in Japan. And the word kintsugi itself literally means golden repair. So kintsugi. Mm. And it's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery and ceramics with lacquer that's dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. So what it's doing is they break the bowl and then they bring it back together. But here's what they do they celebrate the cracks. What is damaged, scarred, and vulnerable is something to celebrate rather than disguise. Mm-hmm. And I love this, that with the Kintsugi repairs, you, you can see the broken line. Not only see it, but they emphasize it. They bring it out, what's usually yeah. hidden. And if you take that to society, we're often blind to our, our. you know, we're, mm-hmm. we hide them. We hide these cracks that happen in our lives. We cover them up. Mm-hmm. And instead of celebrating them, we see them as these failures, and oftentimes we hang on to them and spend valuable cognitive energy yeah. holding on to these pains that that actually made us who we were. And I, I've gone through this myself. I, I got injured quite a lot. You know, my my Toulouse uh, story wasn't as successful as I'd wanted it to be. Mm. I got injured there, and I and then I struggled to get back. Picked again. I so I I, I had a few of those instances in my rugby career, mm. and I wanted to. I wanted to emphasize this and and in a way for me, Susie as well, this book was a, a transformation for me as well, because mm-hmm. I couldn't, I actually genuinely couldn't put something down that I didn't believe was true or didn't experience. So in a way I say the book's written in scar tissue. So <laughs> it, it, it was, it was what I experienced, including the bad stuff, because I think that's important that like one of the, the the first iterations of this book was was a, a former book was which was, was actually aimed at children or youths who wanted to become sports players, mm-hmm. both male and female. And it was like, here's a load of stuff that I found that could be helpful to you. That was the kind of premise of the book. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then I actually let it sit for the year. I had ri- I had have it written. Then I put a new lens over it because mm-hmm. in there. You know, I d- I did talk about these setbacks, etc., mm-hmm. but but I didn't embrace this because what what happens is most of us look to the heroes or the most successful people for mm-hmm. for traces of what of a hint of how to get into the future or how to build a possible career. But mm-hmm. but oftentimes those books hide all the setbacks, or even more, the person who writes the book doesn't even know about them because they were so talented in the first place. I wasn't that talented. Mm-hmm. In sport, I worked really hard. So then I had to learn in an entirely different way. I had to Mm. deconstruct things in order to reconstruct them. Mm. And this is what this chapter is really about. It's embracing the fact that every time you have a new vision, like we started the show with, every Mm. time you attempt something new, obviously you're going to make mistakes. Obviously the bowl is going to crack. But realize that that is part of actually reconstructing the bowl. Because if you want to do something new, you're going to fall and stumble. You're going to get back up again. And that's the core part. But knowing that the fall and stumble is actually part of the success makes them into milestones and not millstones where they don't hold you back. They're actually a sign of progress.
0: Yeah, and they're actually part of the process, aren't they? And, you know, the whole thing about changing lens, and it brings me to all the visual metaphors in your book, like um, the optometrist's uh, sort of headset, and there's so much that we could unpack, but I'm really um, conscious that time is running. If if I take the message of Undisruptible, that you can't change what you do until you change what you think, so the way you think, and that the it's cyclical, and every rebirth requires some form of death before you move on, and some type of letting go before you move on to the next crest, if you like. What would be your sort of parting call to action for leaders looking to prepare for, I was going to say the future world of business, but it's the future world of business and and society in general as we come out of the COVID pandemic?
1: I would embrace those people in your organization, or or if you don't have them in your organization, bring them in. And I I don't mean to go and hire a load of people. I mean... (laughs) You know let somebody come in a futurist or or some type of consultant who understands the future and let them listen to them and don't listen to them with selective hearing where you're only listening for the things you're already doing because that is our nature and and by the way nobody nobody i i really emphasize this in the book nobody is broken here there's nobody at fault you know if you're at the top of the crest it's very difficult to see a threat because you're, mm. you're a top of your game. And that, that's just a mental construct of the brain. So you have to be deliberate about introducing information to go, where are we vulnerable, where mm. is my business model at risk? Who are the future apples? If I'm Nokia, who are the several ones of these companies? Can I embrace with them? Can I, can I partner with them? Mm. Can I learn from them? Can I go and meet them and bring them for breakfast and Mm. pay for the bill? Mm. (laughs) So embrace the discomfort of the things that could be wrong about your your offering because Mm. there's always a blind spot. and, And this is one of the most important things about your work and my work, Susie, is that if you can create a culture of, it's not just a culture of innovation, it's a culture where, Bad news spreads quicker than good news to the top. So if there's a threat in the organization, that should be top of the agenda. And I should not feel fearful about being the bearer of that news. And I should not be shot because I'm the messenger. Mm. Instead, I should be embraced because there's a big difference between what's called a naysayer, somebody who Mm. comes out with problems all the time, or blockages, or Mm. why we can't do something. And a gainsayer. A gainsayer is somebody who's calling out both opportunities and threats with the, with the goal of making the organization better, making sure that it survives into the future, Mm. find those people, the imaginal cells that we talked about in the first session, (laughs) find them, embrace them, empower them, listen to them and and listen without judgment. Don't Mm. defend. It's really difficult because your mind will go and go, yeah, we tried that before. Mm. Or your mind will go, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. There's always some type of message in there that's useful and, and embrace it, even if it's uncomfortable, because it's in the discomfort that we will find future comfort.
0: Mm. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with that final sentence. I don't know where the time went, but thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts on your book and some of the concepts. There's We, we didn't bottom out half of those concepts, so please go and check <laughs> out Undisruptible. Aidan, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work and also... The workshop you developed based on your book which uh, looks at all these different areas for leaders and organizations
1: so yeah you can find me linkedin is always a good place mm-hmm. i have a weekly article there that i promote and you can find me on the innovation show dot io and i call it io because <laughs> it's input output that's what that means and <laughs> yeah, input okay. is the input is all the books so yeah. there's a there's a weekly book and then i digest the book and then i output what I find are some of the interesting facts from the book. So Mm. that's where you can find me and I look forward to hearing from
0: you. Okay, excellent. And we look forward to reading maybe your second book, if it's ready. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and rating. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk.